Hey everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. The date today is 420, a day for cannabis enthusiasts to celebrate their natural substance of choice. It's been more than two years since Michigan voters legalized marijuana for adults 21 years or older for recreational use, and it's been more than a decade since we became a medical marijuana state. But the most noticeable differences have been popping up within the last year or so. Cannabis has quickly gone from illicit drug at the center of police raids and felony convictions to a really popular product that's advertised on billboards all over Metro Detroit. And as we've talked about before on the show, the pandemic has been a real boon for the budding cannabis industry in Michigan. According to a recent report, Michigan's marijuana industry now has more than 18,000 employees. That's more than double the number of a year ago. Here to talk about how legalization is going on here in Michigan and the state of the industry are two people who have a lot of firsthand knowledge about it. Robin Schneider is executive director of the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association. Robin, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. And Anquanette Sarfo is founder of Culture, an online CBD retailer and cannabis education company. Anquanette, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. So uh, I just want to start with each of your kind of overall assessments of how the industry is doing at this point. There were a lot of predictions when we legalized marijuana for recreational use about what would happen. Some of them quite optimistic, some of them kind of negative. Give us a sense of of where we are as we kind of get into the the late beginning years of of legalized uh, pot. Robin, I'll start with you. Well, we've had a, you know, this year has been interesting. As an industry, we've had some ups and downs, um, you know, with the unexpected pandemic uh, that affected our state. Um, In some cases that, you know, with the restaurant closures and people staying home and less people being out and about, we did have a few tough months there where sales were were dropping. And, um, you know, luckily over the, the last couple of months, we've reached record high sales. Uh, last month, we reached over $100 million in retail sales, mm. which is, you know, a historic marker for our industry. And, um, you know, the industry is continuing to grow. And, you know, we're we're slated to reach over $1 billion in sales this year. Wow. Wow. Uh, and Kanette, uh, as a retailer and somebody who's trying to get people to know more and understand more about cannabis, what's your perspective been like? I think it's wonderful that uh, we've shown that the sky has not fallen, <laughs> that uh, the, 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 uh, some of the data that, that we stressed to people saying that property values could increase, that crime will not increase, that you, know, you don't have to necessarily worry so much about drugged driving when it comes to cannabis. All of those, um, all of those um, um, predictions have have sort of come to fruition. Thankfully, you know, I'm, obviously, I'm not advocating that people, you know, use substances and drive, but sure. but the data has shown that there hasn't been an increase in traffic fatalities. There hasn't been an increase in teen use. There there hasn't been a decrease in property values. Um, and when it comes to um, customers, consumers, and patients, I think that they are realizing that 
the things that were told to them in the past were not necessarily true. And they now have the opportunity to find out for themselves if this is a plant that could benefit them mm. health-wise. And more and more people are answering yes to that question. And they're saying that this is safe, it's effective, it's natural. And, um, and it's a way to inject uh, business um, opportunities and funds into our communities mm. and bring some people home from prison because this was also a war on drugs that thankfully the voters of Michigan decided to um to stop to yeah. get it to end right. <laughs> by, by by implementing legalization they have effect ended or started to end the war on drugs in Michigan so thank goodness for those voters yeah so so uh, Robin you referenced the hundred million in sales last month I want to talk about that just for a second I mean that is a huge number. And it's kind of unexpected, I guess, because as you point out, you know, the, the industry had a little bit of a tough time uh, during the early months of the pandemic. Do, do you think that this is a rebound number from that? In other words, that people are just kind of excited about the world getting back to, to normal in some ways and, and indulging uh, in this way at this time? Or is this sort of a trend line that you expect to see going forward in in a boom uh, in the industry? I fully expect our sales to continue increasing in the years ahead. In fact, Michigan is projected to become a $3 billion a year industry. It's a large state um, with a lot of uh, consumers and um, you know, we, we are expected to, to reach over $3 billion. That might even be a conservative number from from uh, the data I've received. Um, I think that we had a little bit of a slowdown, you know, as far as construction was halted uh, temporarily. Um, businesses had to pivot their operations and implement um, safety and sanitation procedures and contactless dis- delivery procedures. Um, and so, you know, our members did an incredible job in an emergency, um, you know, pivoting and focusing on the things um, that mattered, which were public health and safety. And so I would say our members played a huge role in helping to flatten the curve, um, you know, early on. And then as we saw, you know, a lot of business closures in the state, unfortunately, over the last year, which, you know, those economic impacts um, cer- certainly affect our industry as well. So as, you know, what I'm seeing is a direct correlation to, you know, when restaurants started reopening and, you know, businesses started reopening, um, you know, we saw a direct correlation to, um, you know, more purchases, uh, you know, as the economy is beginning to rebound. Mm. So I, I fully expect we'll continue to see those sales increase month after month. Now, um, April historically is a uh, high sales month month for our industry. (laughs) We had, uh, especially here in Michigan, we had the hash bash, um, you know, in Ann Arbor Mm -hmm. and, you know, around hash bash sales always increase. Um, And we had, um, you know, uh, we did, and and Quinette and I both participated in a virtual hash bash this year. And Ann Quinette was the um, MC for that. And she did a fantastic job. And, and a lot of work went into that to to provide a safe platform, uh, you know, for hash bash goers to watch from home. And so that that's one factor. And then, of course, the 420 holiday. Um, we saw sales increasing, you know, exponentially even last week. 
um, leading up to this. And so, you know, we, we expect record set setting sales today, of course, and throughout the month of April. And as the, as the uh, months are warming up, uh, you know, we, we expect that trend to continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anquanette, talk about this $100 million month uh, and, and what you expect for, I guess, for your business coming up. Well, um, my business is CBD and it's a startup. So we're, we're, we're starting slowly. Um, but, um, so I'm not expecting too much, but of course, if people want to, um, check out culture, that's culture with the Q. Right. Feel free, um, to check it out. But no, this, this is, this, this is the, the celebration of, uh, Full THC, I guess you should say all of the plant, but the big celebration today is for the 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 psychoactivity, uh, the psychoactive components of the plant and, and, and appreciation of all of the benefits of, of, of the plant. So while I don't anticipate banner sales for myself today, I definitely um, celebrate and, and anticipate uh, great sales for um for um, members in the in the regulated and unregulated market <laughs> to, to be for real. But um but but no, just the, even yesterday, I was um I do sell some products um at, at provisioning centers, and I was dropping off some items there yesterday, bath bombs mostly, and um yeah, people were already there, and to to talk about your your previous question on that one hundred um, million dollars or the billion dollar sales of uh, this year and next, um, I think that this is because people are uh, looking past the stigma. Um, learning to make some choices and some decisions for themselves and and realizing that what they were told isn't necessarily true. As a, again, I was at a provisioning center yesterday and the people who were in there were, were older than me. <laughs> the customers in there were, were older than me and I'll be 50 this year. Mm. So um, you have more and more people in that demographic, people who um, are tired of living in pain and um, want some different options and they're finding it in cannabis and they're telling their friends and their friends are seeing this, the, the the benefits as well. And I think that's also spurring the growth of this industry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to go jump Robin. in there and, and say I actually had the pleasure of enjoying one of Anquinette's bath bombs over the weekend. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> you know, and, and really cannabis, use it really is all about health and wellness. Um, you know, I'm a mom, four kids. It's, you know, busy and there's nothing better then, you know, a Sunday afternoon in the bathtub with one of Anquinette's bath bombs. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that endorsement. I appreciate it. But, but Stephen, you know, we have a lot of people like like this this year has really revealed um, some mental health fractures in our community. Sure. And you have people who are, 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 are falling through the cracks and they don't have resources available to them. And so they are turning to this. And then there's hopefully some education that comes with it. But you have a lot of people who are dealing with anxiety right now. And um, and they're using CBD and other and 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 other full THC cannabis products to to mitigate that 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 those feelings of anxiety right now. And that's anxiety is through the roof. And yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of people who are looking for options on how to how to manage it, yeah. especially in the year with the the pandemic. I I early in the year, um, you know, I li- I live in a small town. I've been in the same town my entire life. So all the other mothers know me well. And I started getting phone calls, you know, from the other moms. And they said, you know, I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm drinking too much. I'm having wine for breakfast. I, you know, they, they were just absolutely seeking any kind of relief. 
um, and very interested in trying, you know, low-dose edibles. And, you know, I helped a number of, you know, women in my community learn how to order those products and get them, you know, contact-free um, from their local provisioning centers. And so there was a really an education piece there as far as, you know, how start low, go slow, you know, with the edibles. And, you know, so many of them came back to me and said, this has relieved my anxiety. I'm sleeping better. I'm drinking less. And I'm just better functioning as a parent all around. And so this was an interesting year where I, I really believe that, you know, um, and there was just a study that came out that, that talked about one in four adults are now openly admitting that they're using cannabis. And over 50% of them say that they are using it to relieve their anxiety and their stress, which we all know a lot of that is pandemic related. And for people that are turning to, you know, uh, large amounts of alcohol, um, opiate use, thing, things like that, you know, there is, there is a better way to do this with, with, you know, better health outcomes. And this is really what that's all about. Yeah. I'm talking with Robin Schneider, who is executive director of the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association, uh, and with Anquinette Sarfo, who is founder of Culture with a Q, an online CBD retailer and cannabis education company. We're talking about, really, we're talking about today's date, 420, a date that has great significance for uh, enthusiasts of cannabis and marijuana use. Uh, we're talking about the legalization of recreational marijuana here in the state of Michigan just a few years ago and how that's going, how that has sort of unfolded uh, as we have dealt with a pandemic that was kind of an interruption for uh, for a lot of things and, and was also an interruption for the cannabis industry. But uh, where we are now as the world kind of starts to reopen and uh, get back to normal, whatever we define that to be, uh, where are we with uh, legalized uh, marijuana here in the state of Michigan? Uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us how you think marijuana legalization is going so far here in Michigan. Uh, were you somebody who was really hopeful about uh, legalizing marijuana and what would happen as a result? Or are you somebody who was really skeptical about uh, the potential negative effects of, uh, of legalizing recreational marijuana uh, here in the state. Uh, we'd also love to hear from you, of course, about your personal experiences here. Are you somebody who maybe for the first time uh, has gone and bought uh, a marijuana or cannabis product? Uh, let us know what that has been like. Uh, if you're a convert, perhaps, to the idea uh, of the benefits, the mental health benefits, the health benefits of, of uh, these substances, uh, give us a call and let us know. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and uh, we are uh, going to try to work you into the conversation uh, that way. Uh, also, give us a call and let us know if you're somebody who lives near uh, a business, a marijuana-based uh, business. Uh, that was one of the real concerns that people had about neighborhoods, uh, especially here in the city where we have more of these businesses than you find other places. Uh, are you somebody who's concerned about that business in your neighborhood or uh, are you welcoming uh, that business? Again, 
1019 is the number here uh, on the phones. Uh, and Gwinnett, before we uh, get to listeners, uh, I want to talk about your story and your journey into the cannabis world. Uh, people might recognize your name and your voice uh, as a former anchor with Fox 2 here in Detroit. Uh, tell us what made you decide to leave that career uh, to become a cannabis entrepreneur. Well, about um, almost eight years ago, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And uh, for the first year, I uh, was a great patient, followed my doctor's orders to a T, went from taking no medications to taking nine medications, and uh, did not feel better. In fact, felt a lot worse. Um, after the third trip to the hospital, my husband suggested that I smoke a joint. <laughs> and uh, I smoked <laughs> and um, I, I, I got some relief. And um I was able to, over time, uh, wean myself off of all nine medications. I also changed my diet, but um, cannabis was uh, integral in in helping that transition. Still, though, um, because I do have multiple sclerosis, um, my multiple sclerosis mainly affects my memory. I have short-term memory loss, Mm. and uh, it was really really difficult to anchor a four-hour live newscast. Um, when you have memory loss, mm. especially short-term memory loss. And so, and it was a stressful career as well. And stress exacerbates MS. And so my doctor put it bluntly. He said, this job will put you in a wheelchair. And I said, okay. Yeah. And I, um, I, we decided uh, to, to retire. And so um, I, I, um, I medically retired in, in November of 2016. And um, at that time, my, my psychologist <laughs> suggested that um, I find uh, something that I was passionate about and, and get involved in that because if not, I was going to be miserable. <laughs> and so I said, well, um, I find that it's unfair that people are still being locked up for cannabis. And I see that it's not as bad as I was told. And so I'm, I'm going to commit to um, helping fight uh, legal, helping fight uh, prohibition and campaigning for legalization. So in, in November of 2016, I joined legalization efforts. 2018, it passed. And um, we also opened a provisioning center in the Corktown neighborhood of Detroit. Um, we sold it about a year later to an out-of-state company, successfully transitioned. And so now I'm um, involved in um, a grow operation, a cannabis operation, in um, one again in Detroit, another one in Detroit, and um, and one in Warren. I'm also doing um, the CBD line online and uh, the educational components. We do a, a monthly free tea party with the cannabis nurse. So people have the opportunity to um, ask a medical professional questions about cannabis use for their particular condition. Mm -hmm. Um, I found that when I was um, seeking medical advice, my doctors knew nothing. In fact, I know more than my doctors and they would ask me to tell them and educate them about cannabis. And um, which is unfortunate because we could really use the the help of the medical community when it comes to helping people navigate how to use this plant-based medicine. Until we have more doctors and nurses on board, however, um, we're lucky to have Kathleen Graham and nurses like her who are are studying this this plant and helping people use it. So Kathleen Graham and I host a a Zoom tea party at the end of the month, the last Thursday of every month. Uh, People can find out more information on cultureclub.com. That's culture with a Q. Mm -hmm. 
And um, and yeah, and also um, and we also put out tea party kits. They're available at 20 plus provisioning centers all over Michigan. And those are beginner kits. And they tell you how cannabis work in your body. Um, it comes with CBD infused tea. And the provisioning centers put in samples of cannabis flower and cannabis edibles. So we can all have a communal experience. But you can also get those culture kits outside of the tea parties. They're available um, all the time, but it's a great beginner's kit. If you're like me, you don't know where to start, just grab a kit and just <laughs> follow along. Yeah, yeah. And I actually have one of those kits here. And my favorite product in the kit was the Motor City Tea. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> I'm a tea drinker. And, uh, you know, that was a very nice, calming uh, CBD tea. And uh, definitely uh, enjoyed that. Wow. Wow. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation uh, about legalized marijuana here in the state of Michigan, and we will get to you, the listeners. Uh, Sarah in Troy, Lynn in Rochester Hills, we'll hear from you. We've got some other calls that are queuing up, and we will get to some of the social media comments on Twitter and Facebook. Of course, if you want to join, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always... Thanks for tuning in. My guests are Robin Schneider, who is executive director of the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association. We've also got Anquanette Sarfo here. She is the founder of Culture with a Q, uh, an online CBD retailer and cannabis education company. Uh, we're talking about it being 420, uh, the day that uh, uh, pot smokers and uh, cannabis users celebrate uh, as uh, a day of I guess, uh, remembrance for uh, for their enthusiasm. Uh, we're talking about what has happened over the last few years as Michigan has legalized recreational uh, marijuana. Uh, also, what's happened over the last decade while we have been a medical marijuana state. Uh, we want to hear from you about your experience uh, with, with marijuana and cannabis over the last two years. Are you somebody who is uh, taking part in the industry or are you a consumer? Uh, are you living in a neighborhood where uh, one of these businesses is located? We want to hear what uh, that's been like over the last uh, over the last two years. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter. Put comments there and we'll try to work you in. Let's start with Sarah in Troy. Sarah, what's on your mind? Yeah, hi. Um, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to um, call in and, and touch base on the subject, uh, kind of on a multifaceted um, uh, level here, as far as being someone who has sold it in a retail setting um, for pet use, um, someone who has worked with it as um, you know a, a user myself, uh, and then also uh, my kids live half of the time with their dad in um, a neighborhood in Ferndale, borderline Hazel Park, that recently had a a dispensary that opened up Mm. um, within walking distance of his house. Um, And thus far, I haven't experienced 
anything to negatively say um, about the impact of it. If anything, it's bringing you know more foot traffic to the neighborhood, um, and it's also bringing more recognition to some of the businesses that kind of get lost in this little industrial zone that's mm. right there. Um, so I think that um, there's been a lot of positivity that's come with uh, the industry becoming legalized in this area, for mm. sure. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, I really appreciate the call uh, and that perspective. Uh, Robin and Anquanette, the, the question of where these businesses are going to be located is one of the, the, the real tension points uh, in the discussion, or at least it has been. And especially here in Detroit, there are a lot of folks who say, look, I don't want this in my neighborhood, or there are too many of these uh, in our community. Uh, what do you make of so far, the impact that businesses have had on uh, on neighborhoods and where that that whole I guess discussion is about uh, the tension between neighborhoods and and these businesses. Robin, I'll start with you. Sure. So, you know, that's always a, a interesting question because we didn't know what it was going to be like until we had the facilities, and it turns out. Um, our marijuana regulatory agency, it's one of the best in the country. Um, they do such a great job of regulating these facilities and making sure that they're safe. Um, and, you know, my experience has been that there is far more crime taking place at our liquor stores. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a common theme that law enforcement is called to liquor stores all the time. And uh, that doesn't happen at provisioning centers. Um, our retail establishments are, um, you know, they, they are regulated not just by the state, but by the city. They have to follow the sign ordinances, lighting ordinances. Um, you know, the, the um, law enforcement knows where these transactions are taking place inside of a, you know, well-regulated facility um, with extreme security measures in place, far more security than liquor stores are required to have. We have locked doors. We have security guards. We have security cameras. Um, all of that footage is stored, you know, so that if law enforcement ever needs it. In fact, it is very common for law enforcement to come to our facilities and say, can we get your camera footage because there was a, you know, traffic um, situation or a crime committed in the area, and we want to use your footage to solve this crime and our and our members immediately cooperate with law enforcement. So I would say, you know, from my perspective, and I have one right down the street from my house, if anything, it has, um, you know, increased value to the area. It's increased public safety. Um, because remember, all of these transitions traditionally take place in, uh, you know, parking lots, unregulated, you know, historically, um, you know, where where crimes can happen because nobody knows that it's happening there. So this is a this is about safe outcomes um, and safe consumption. And, and you know, from my pr- perspective, it has only added value to all of the safety. Mm. Uh, and what, what do you make of the arguments that are still happening here in Detroit, especially about where these businesses should be located, how they should be uh, regulated. The, the, we're not done with that uh, argument, but I, I wonder as a business owner what your take is on it. Well, I, I respect people's right to um, to say how they want their communities to look. And and, and I will never um, 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 impose my, my, my thoughts 
on that. That being said, um, I would encourage people to make an informed decision because right now the decisions are based on on myths and um, and, and 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 outdated propaganda. Um, and so I am. Um, I've always said to people when I, as I'm also a volunteer with the League of Women Voters, and we would do voter um, forums, and and when people would bring up the, the 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 topic of if they want these businesses in their communities, I always ask, Have you ever been inside one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you have you gone to one? Before you say you don't want it, maybe you should look and see what it is, because there is this misconception that these are are illegal drug dens and people are in the corner shooting up or something and that's not happening. It's 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 pretty much regular ordinary people who want pain cream or to sleep better. And um, still though, and, it, and I say to the people who have these reservations, as Robin said, if you are okay with the liquor store in your community, if you're okay with the drug store in your community, I mean, those are the, the center points of the opioid epidemic. <laughs> Must be real. It's your drugstore, your regular drugstore, not your cannabis um, um, provisioning center. So um, let's look at the businesses first before you decide you don't want them. Because I would show people pictures of different provisioning centers and not tell them that it's a provisioning center. And I would say, what do you think of this business? That's beautiful. I would love to have that business in our community. I would say, oh, well, that's a provisioning center. (laughs) So I I think that um, it would be nice if... um, A, people in in positions of power will come and look at these establishments uh, before they judge them. And B, it would be nice if people in positions of power would also listen to the voice of their constituents because um, legalization passed in in Michigan at almost 60% and um, in some communities, well over 60%. Mm -hmm. And you still have some of these communities that had overwhelming support for cannabis legalization and their 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 um, city councils or their 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 county commissions, they are the ones um, saying no, they don't want it. So um, I think that uh, maybe if we can have more people like Sarah, your first caller, who who chimed in, if we can have some more people like her come to these city council meetings and say they want these businesses, that would be a tremendous help to us in the industry. But right now, yeah, we're fighting um, we're fighting uh, propaganda and we're fighting um, a, a hundred years of propaganda and that, that's really hard to overcome. But it's happening bit by bit. And now, unfortunately, because of the of the pandemic and you have a lot of communities that are struggling financially, they are taking a second look at our industry because they're seeing that, again, we're good actors, we're good for the communities, and we're helping people. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, thanks very much for the call uh, and the perspective. Uh, I want to go to a social media question. Richard on Twitter says, how do the retail sellers determine which items go on the medical patient menus? He says the medical menu choices seem to be getting smaller. I think that's a uh, it's a very specific question from Richard, but it's kind of a bigger picture question about I guess the ways in which recreational use and sales relate to uh, you know the medical marijuana business which was uh, going pretty strong uh, before uh, recreational was was legalized. Uh, Robin, can you can you address that a bit? Certainly. And, and that's just a regulatory issue. So we started out with medical, um, you know, facilities and uh, all of the product that was being grown in our regulated system was slated to be sold as a medical product. 
um, when we wrote our ballot initiative and asked the voters to then approve recreational um, sales in our state, we were not able to, you know, go in and amend any existing statutes. So we weren't able to, you know, do anything with the medical regulatory. So, so we ended up with two parallel programs. And so the growers and processors who were growing medical before are now also growing recreational. And the demand for recreational products far is starting to outweigh the demand for the medical products. And many consumers are just um, who were medical patients just aren't renewing their cards now because they can go in and buy it as as an adult consumer. And so they don't need to go, you know, through the steps. Now, the patients, you know, who want to, um, you know, not pay the excise tax, there's a 10% excise tax on recreational cannabis, um, they will continue to get their their cards. But what we're finding is a lot of the retailers, um, you know, through the regulatory structure, uh, who have medical menus and recreational menus, the recreational menus are growing larger and the medical is growing smaller. So oftentimes if you go into a retailer and let them know that you have a patient card, the majority of them will waive that 10% excise tax, um, or I'm sorry, give a discount of 10% to the medical patient if they're purchasing from the recreational uh, menu. Um, so always ask you know, if that's a possibility, and, and many of the facilities will honor that. Hmm. Um, Anconet, what I wonder what you make of this 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 uh, distinction, I guess, between recreational and medical. Some of what you're doing in your business is 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 geared toward people with with you know a medical issue, uh, but they don't necessarily have to have uh, the card anymore. To, I guess to to indulge. We always knew this would happen. This mm-hmm. has happened in every state that began as a medical state and transitioned to adult use. Mm-hmm. Um, as the MRA, the Marijuana Regulatory Agency, continues to put out um, rules when it comes to um, how the adult use um, side of the law will be implemented, I hope there will be some consideration for medical patients because there are still some um some products that you have to have a card to get, for example, full extract cannabis oil, um, that things that have a higher THC um, level, those are still medical um, medical products. And so if we can get the agency to, to sort of come up with some, um, um, some way to accommodate medical um, people with medical needs who may not have medical cards, that would be beneficial. I feel that they should just go ahead and um, merge everything because let's, let's be realistic. There is no such thing as medical cannabis and recreational cannabis. It's all just cannabis. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the same plant. It's the same flower. And so when you're looking at a um, at a at a adult use slash rec product versus a medical product, you know the the difference is a a rec product has to be capped at 100 milligrams per container, whereas a rec um, a medical product doesn't. So if you can maybe find a way to get rid of some of those limits, that may be helpful, and just make it one one program. But um, I feel that because the way the um, the ballot was written, and especially because we have preserved the rights of home grow, people do have the ability 
to grow what they cannot buy. Hmm. And there are lots of resources out there that can help them uh, learn how to process it on their own. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I've got some cannabis oil <laughs> on, on my kitchen <laughs> counter right now. I'm making a pain cream for my friend today. You know, so you can, um, you can still um, make it yourself. And I want to make sure that that those rights are preserved for people as well. But um, yeah, it, it's it's an issue that we saw coming. And and I think that you know we we have the right team of people. We have the you know the 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 state is is a partner in in building this this industry, and they want to get it right as well. And they know that this is an industry that has been built on patience by patients, yeah. and so they have a responsibility to make sure that the patients needs are met. And I feel that so far the state takes that into consideration, and they're working hard to make sure that that's not forgotten. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, we could talk about this for hours, and uh, if the volume of calls and social media comments uh, is in any indication, our listeners would talk about this all hour as well, but uh, we are out of time. So uh, I want to thank you, Robin Schneider and Anquanet Sarfo, for uh, joining us. This was a really great conversation, and wish you a happy 420 day. Happy 420. <laughs> happy 420. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with one of the authors who's participating in the Midwest Literary Walk this weekend. Uh, Laura Halls Anderson is going to join us to talk about her book, Shout. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.